Hello and welcome to this month's Invisible Not Broken. I am so excited. This is a really special episode and I learned so much in this hour. I really hope you will too and I can't think of a single person who does not need to listen to this episode and I mean that. Um, Considering the world today and the amount of people coming into the disability space, this is an incredible book to read, and we go over a lot of why this is important. Today, I'm talking to Spencer Bishens, who gives an insider overview on the inner workings of the Social Security Administration and an in-depth view on applying for disability benefits, why you might not succeed, what to do if you don't, and how to prepare for this process. He is very clear. He is a lawyer, but he is not our lawyer. This does give you a really good starting place. He wrote the book, Social Security Disability Revealed, why it's so hard to access benefits and what you can do about it. I know I'm going to be buying this book. I highly recommend and we'll be having him on to discuss different aspects. This is a quick overview of his book. Please head over to our show notes. You can buy the book directly from our show notes or go to visionspublishing.com. I hope you enjoy this episode. Be kind, be gentle, be a badass, and I'll see you next month. So this is an episode I have been desperate to do. I have looked high and low for someone who can discuss the disability system and navigating it. So I, um, I think I Twitter stalked you, I believe. I think I found you on Twitter. Um, so we're talking to Spencer Bishens about the book he wrote, which will hopefully give some clarity to a very confusing system of filing for disability. Thank you for having me. So excited for this episode. I have been longing to find someone who can discuss the other side, the, the person who actually knows what's going on in the disability system when applying for disability. It took me about a year to apply, and that was almost 30 hours a week of work. So I am so excited to talk to someone who can kind of untangle this, this system. Can you tell me a little bit about what led you to discuss this, um, this system, which I'm sure is a good system, but it's a very confusing system. Yeah, it definitely is. Uh, so I was hired by Social Security uh, as an uh, attorney, uh, decision reviewer, and writer in 2010 as part of the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act. That was all that federal stimulus money that came out after the Great Recession. They hired tons of people all over the federal government, and and Social Security was no exception. And that was an important time because. That was uh, right around the time the baby boomers were really starting to apply for disability in quite large numbers as they got into their mid to late 50s. And it took so long to learn all of the complexities of the program. Years after I was hired, I was still seeing cases with issues I had not seen before. And so when I left, I, I thought about just how complicated the system is. For me, as someone who went to law school, passed the bar, was trained in it, and was doing it every day, and how complex some of the discussions between me and the judges were. And I thought, there's just, there's got to be a resource for people to just simplify things, to just take a really complicated concept and boil it down to a chapter or even a few paragraphs. Um, And so, I, I didn't I didn't see that. I would I would search Amazon, I would search Google, and I didn't see any books that were like, look, this is just how it is. 
it seemed like every book out there was, here's how to do it yourself. Here's how to avoid paying a lawyer. Here's how to guarantee yourself benefits, which is of course ridiculous. No one can ever guarantee that. So I wasn't trying to do some kind of gimmick. I just wanted to take the information I had learned and present it to everyday people, everyday claimants, in a way that was be simple and easy to understand so that they could access the benefits that they've paid for, that they have earned, and that they should have a right to access without a substantial amount of hassle. I am so grateful that you decided to do this. Uh, the big joke in the disability community is if you can apply for disability without help, you're probably not that disabled. It's a huge amount of effort. And then there's also the loss of income. You have months where you can't earn any money. Right. And people also misconstrue what disability means all the time, particularly if someone is does not have medical impairments. Um, I talk about this in the book. A lot of people, when they hear the word disability, they think uh, a blue and white person sitting in a wheelchair, just because that's what's on the signs and parking lots, right? And, but people have all kinds of different medical impairments that either make it difficult to work, prevent them from working, make it so they can't work full time, make it so they can only work in certain environments. And that's what social security's definition is. It's any, it can be any medical impairment. So saying, well, if you can apply for disability, you're obviously not disabled. Maybe you have a back impairment or a knee impairment or fibromyalgia or just an injury that's not permanent, but it'll prevent you from working for a while. So yeah, I think a lot of people don't fully understand what the disability system is. And I was actually, to be fully honest, I was one of those people. I didn't even know social security had a disability system until I applied for the job with social security to review disability claims. So it's really not that uncommon. Uh, and as I say in the book, the book is for claimants, it's for family members, it's for advocates, but it's also for people who don't currently have a medical impairment because at some point in, in everyone's life, either you will be injured, you'll be sick, you'll be impaired, or someone you know will be injured, sick, or impaired and unable to work. So this book is really for every American taxpayer. I love that because it's something that I feel like gets really screwed up in our system is that there's not this idea of the temporarily abled. If you are very lucky, you will age into this population. If you are not, you will accidentally become a part of this population. And with COVID, we are welcoming a bunch of people to our communities. So it's um, it's wonderful that you're having this out there. What is what is something that you would just love to like tattoo across the sky for people to know about the disability system? It's complicated. <laughs> yes. If I if I were paying by the letter for one of those signs that uh, one of those banners behind an airplane uh, over the city, that's what I would, I would pay for all of those letters. It's complicated, even the apostrophe, uh, because it's not the kind of thing that you can just accidentally be approved. You can't fall through the cracks and, and get an approval letter. You're not gonna apply and get uh, a positive outcome in a few weeks. And, and, and most people don't understand that. They think I'm disabled, I can't work. I know that, my doctor understands that. 
I'll just apply. It's no problem. The clearly they'll approve me. And at the initial level, over 70% of people are denied. So, and, and those 30% of people who are approved have quite severe cases. I know someone who was approved at the initial level, and we're talking thousands of pages of medical evidence. Um, and I also know someone who was denied at the initial level. And that person was seeing doctors for years, thought she was going to be approved, didn't think it would be that controversial. And of course, she was completely surprised when she was denied. If I had a buy one, get one free uh, from the airplane banner company, and I had a second uh, airplane with a banner, it would say, have a representative. What because, kind of representative do you mean by that? Do you mean like an advocate that you pay for or a family member or? Yeah, so a social security disability representative is a very specific thing. Most people will have an attorney but there are representatives who are non-attorneys who can get certified by Social Security to handle disability cases. And the representative has very specific roles. But the good thing is there's also a very clear and specific way they can get paid. Um, you may have seen commercials on TV or on bus benches or places that say, no fee unless you win. And that's actually true. Social Security representatives cannot get paid unless you win. And the other thing is how much they get paid is capped. So it's a great system for claimants because they only they can only get a certain amount, a certain percentage of the benefits. If you're awarded benefits, they only get a, a, a percentage of those benefits. And they only obviously get paid if you win, but it's also good for the representatives. If you're thinking, what's the catch? It's good for the representative too because they get paid directly by social security. They don't have to go chasing their clients to get paid. They don't have to send you a bill. You never get a bill. The, the, so that's the deal they agree to. They agree to only take a certain amount, which is set by Congress. And that's currently $6,000. It's going up later this year to $7,200. That's the maximum they can get. And, and in exchange for agreeing to only take that amount, they can get paid directly by social security. So for the representatives, it's a really a volume business. They take a lot of clients because they're only getting paid $6,000 each. And that could be for weeks or months of work. So it's really not that much if you think about running a law office and they have a secretary or a paralegal. Um, for the amount of time they're putting in, it's a really good value for the, the claimant. And as I said, I worked for social security for 11 years. I did thousands of cases. I wrote over 1,700 actual disability decisions for judges to issue. And I saw a lot of people who were represented and a lot of people who are not represented. And there is such a drastic difference in the quality of the evidence, the type of evidence, the amount of medical opinions, how well that evidence tells that person's story, it's usually much more cohesive when that person has a knowledgeable professional social security representative who knows how to present that evidence. And even if you read my book and you know what you're doing, and even with all that knowledge, you have to have a representative. You can't DIY this process. 
please, please read Spencer's book. Um, what are some of the evidence that the judges are looking for? I know there's a lot of confusion because a lot of doctors aren't completely aware of what language they need to use. There's very specific words that have to be used, I think. So this is part four of the book, uh, Social Security Disability Revealed, Why It's So Hard to Access Benefits and What You Can Do About It. And part four talks about evidence. Now, a couple of disclaimers here. First, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a medical professional. Second, I am a lawyer, but for all of the people reading the book, I'm not your lawyer. So again, have your own representative giving you guidance and advice in your specific case. Um, and as far as your medical conditions, you have to go see your own medical professionals and have them give you guidance on treatments, uh, which can be medicines, but also alternative treatments like acupuncture, massage, uh, herbal supplements, whatever. Um, so in part four of the book, I talk about, from my experience, what evidence different types of impairments tend to have with them. In other words, if I have impairment X, what type of evidence would best show that I have impairment X, the severity of the impairment, and how it impacts my ability to work? Because it's all three are important. You can't just show that you have a diagnosis. You also have to show how that diagnosis affects you, and then how that impact on your mind or body, depending on if it's a physical or mental impairment, how that impact then translates into impacting your ability to work. Because that's the key for social security. That's the social security definition of disability is a medical impairment that lasts for at least 12 continuous months that prevents you from working. So if you have a medical impairment and it doesn't impact your ability to work, you're not gonna get social security disability benefits. So all three of those things are important. As far as what evidence is best, I actually have several chapters in part four of the book because there's lots of different kinds of impairments. And so I break up that section into four parts. First, visible physical impairments. And I'll just give one example in each. A visible physical impairment might be a, a leg disorder, a knee disorder. If you see someone hobbling and holding their leg, you can tell that person got some kind of leg impairment. So something that you can see. Um, that also would be, by the way, something that might not be visible just by looking at the person, but something that you could see on an x-ray or an MRI, like a fracture, a fracture. You might not know that someone has a fracture just by looking at them, but if you can see it on an x-ray and it's clear and it's visible, I, I put that in that first category. Second category I have is non-visible physical impairments. And that's things like Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, fibromyalgia, honestly, even cancer, because you don't necessarily know that someone has cancer, is battling cancer just by looking at them, but they could be so tired throughout the day that they couldn't work a full-time job. Um, the third category is mental health, uh, impairments that are capable of being treated such as depression, anxiety, PTSD. And if it's unclear what I mean by capable of being treated, I think it's clear when I tell you what the fourth category is, which is permanent mental health conditions. And that's things like autism spectrum disorder, neurocognitive disorder, or uh, 
intellectual disability, things that you're either, in the case of intellectual disability, it's, it's something you have from a very young age. In the case of neurocognitive disorder, you might, it's something that might be developed later on in life, but either way, unfortunately, it's a, it's a permanent condition that you could treat symptoms, but the condition is basically irreversible. And so depending on which of those four categories your impairment is in, there will be different kinds of evidence. Uh, and some of those categories, the evidence will be more easy to come by than others. So what are some of the things that someone can do? Like they're, they've just been diagnosed with other stainless, they haven't been able to work for a few years. Uh, what are some of the things that they should do now before they start to get an advocate? Should they be grabbing their medical files? Should they be talking to their doctor about wording something properly? What, what are the first things? That's a tough question because obviously everyone's impairment presents differently and everyone, especially with the non-visible physical impairments, everyone's got different symptoms and different combinations of impairment. As I said earlier, you have to know the process. You have to know what you're getting into. You have to know how social security handles cases, how those cases move through the system, because there are different levels of review and there are different things that happen at each level and also how they decide if you're disabled. And all that's in the book, obviously, because I want people to be educated claimants. So I guess the first thing you should do is buy and read my book. It'll explain to you how uh, the cases move through the system, who all the different people are, It'll tell you what a state agency reviewer is, a medical expert, a vocational expert. Uh, it'll explain to you what third-party opinions are. These are things that are, are all legal terms that I know because I work for the, the agency. But if you're thinking like, whoa, that was a lot, you need to read the book so that you know who all these people are, how the case moves through the system, how the five-step sequential evaluation works. That's the five-step system that Social Security uses for every case, but because it's the government, there are not five steps. It's called the five-step sequential evaluation. And there are officially five steps, but there's actually six or even seven, depending on what kind of claim you have. So that's why it's important to know ahead of time what that means. So before you even file your case, you have some idea of what might happen. And when that happens, you won't be surprised you won't be stressed out and you'll know what to do from there. Talking to medical professionals is always good because you, the one thing everyone knows that they have to do is they have to have medical records. As I said, you can't accidentally slip through the cracks and be approved. Several people within the agency will look at your medical records. Um, they will be looked at by support staff, but also by state agency reviewer. If you get denied and go to a hearing, They'll be looked at by multiple people there, including at least the judge and one other attorney. That was my job because the judges don't write their own decisions. A lot of people don't realize that because the judge's name is on the decision, but the judges don't write their own decisions. It's a staff attorney such as myself who writes the decisions. And so at least two lawyers will look at the evidence at that point. And even though we're lawyers and not doctors, uh, the staff throughout the agency has a lot of medical training, a lot of training on different medical conditions, how they impact the mind or body, how they then can impact the person's ability to work. And even though the social security staff 
are not doctors. They have that medical training. And the important thing to remember is it's not a medical decision. It's a legal decision, right? So they're taking what your doctors and other medical professionals have said, and they're deciding, does it meet the legal definition of disability and the thousand different things that that could possibly mean? Uh, all the tiny little nuances in the rules and regulations. So it is important to talk to your doctors, to your non-doctor providers, alternative providers like acupuncturists, massage therapists, Reiki, psychologists, counselors, therapists, and to make sure all of your treatment is being really well documented, especially with those alternative sources, because some like therapists may not take extensive notes. You may see more truncated treatment notes than you might see with a, a, a like a pulmonologist. You need to have really good documentation. So that's important to do early on. But after that, it's maybe, maybe that's the time to go talk to a social security representative, present everything, explain why you can't work and try and get some guidance. Now, one last thing, I know this is a complicated answer, but I told you everything's complicated within social security. A lot of, and I talk about this in the book, of course, a lot of representatives won't take the case up front. And there are a variety of reasons for this. Um, the most important thing to remember is their fee. I, I said it was a percentage. Well, it's a percentage of back benefits, which means it's a percentage of benefits that you're supposed to be paid before you're approved. So you apply, and then at some point in the future, you're approved. Well, there's a period of time between when you apply and when you were approved, right? Mm -hmm. And so you're granted benefits during that time. You're not penalized for the time it took the agency to get to your case. And so what happens is by the time you're approved, Social Security will issue you one big lump sum payment for that period of time in the past. And representatives can only get paid a percentage of that time. They don't get any of your future benefits. And so some representatives will want to, will be incentivized, let's say, to have that be a larger period of time. And so they'll say, well, you can apply, but I don't want to take your case right now because honestly, I don't want to win your case that quickly. I want there to be a large period of time before I win your case because that's where my fee comes from. And so they might not want to take your case initially. They might want to wait for you to be denied and then take your case. Wow, I'm processing that from my own experiences and I, I'm having a moment here. Okay. But having said that, there may be another reason, which is a representative might feel like at the initial level, there's not a whole lot they can do. And they might not feel right taking your, taking your money when they haven't done a whole lot. When... You, you know, if you already have all your medical records and there's no in-person hearing for them to come to, an ethical lawyer might, I know, ethical lawyer, right? But an ethical attorney might just say, I, I, don't, I don't feel right taking a fee because I can't do a whole lot for you right now. So let's wait and see if you get approved and you get to keep all your benefits. And if you don't, then I can step in and help you at a point where I can actually have more to do with the process. So... There are a variety of reasons that a representative may either choose to take the case or may choose not to take your case up front. 
but it's still worth talking to someone because there's no fee. There's no hourly fee. You're not going to pay a fee to sit down and talk with a social security disability representative. And also that person might know if they let you walk out that door that you might go hire someone else, right? So um, it's worth talking to all your medical sources. It's worth gathering all your records. It's worth talking to a representative. The key with all of that, the theme and all of those things is being an active, educated claimant, being an active participant in the process. You're not just handing everything off to someone and saying, you deal with it. I got a guy who's dealing with it all. You're the claimant, it's your case, it's your life, it's the benefits you've worked and earned, and so you're taking charge. And, and that's the number one thing is knowing what your goal is, whether it's getting benefits now or starting to build up a record to apply in the future, knowing what your goal is, what you're trying to do, and, and taking ownership of that and, and doing the things that you need to do to get where you want to go. So if you're denied, what should your next steps be? Should you definitely be talking to a different lawyer or start talking to a lawyer? What should your steps be if you've been denied? So that sort of depends on what state you live in because as if social security couldn't make things complicated <laughs> enough, after the initial denial, things actually proceed differently in different states. There's, there's two diverging paths and then they come back together. So in 40 of the 50 states, there's a second step called reconsideration, which is basically exactly like the initial level. And for that reason, almost everyone will be denied at that level. The rare circumstance of someone who's approved at reconsideration, that happens when someone submits new evidence that wasn't there at the initial level. And so social, the state agency re reviewing the case at that point says, oh, if only we'd had this the first time around. No, no problem. Now we'll approve you. But it's very rare. It's less than 5%. So most people who take that reconsideration path will be denied and rejoin the people in those other 10 states, which skip the reconsideration level. And at that point, you're requesting a hearing with an, an administrative law judge who is a federal judge who works directly for Social Security at one of the, I think it's somewhere around 200 hearing offices around the country. And that's where I, that's where I worked for seven years in a hearing office. And that's the point where if you didn't have a representative before, obviously I recommend you having a representative, but let's say you couldn't get one. No one wanted to take your case initially. This is the point where any representative will take your case. Um, and there are a variety of reasons why they'll be happy to take it at this point. And there are even more reasons why you need one at this point. Um, and I go through the hearing level in part three of the book, but it's the, it's the longest part of the book. It's got the most information. Um, it's also got the most insider information that you're not gonna find on the social security website, but that I observed for my time within the agency. It's the part of the process where it's, just, it's completely impossible to do it on your own because a claimant doesn't know how a hearing works. They don't understand, and it's not your fault. It's just, you're not trained like I was. The claimant doesn't understand who the vocational expert is. And that person is absolutely critical in order 
to a case being approved or denied. The judges rely heavily on what the vocational expert says at the hearing. Um, you wouldn't know how to talk to the vocational expert, how to understand what the person is saying, how to ask them questions. And if you're not represented, you have to, you're representing yourself. So if you wouldn't represent yourself in another court proceeding, why would you represent yourself in this legal proceeding? Uh, so yes, it, that's the time to have a representative if, if you haven't had one. But also again, having a representative is not a substitute for the book. This is why I wrote the book, because even people who have representatives, if they don't understand the system, if they don't understand what's going to happen, if they don't understand what their representative needs in order to effectively represent them, then it's, it's, it's almost a coin toss and maybe even not, maybe not even 50% at that point uh, because representatives have a much easier time and do a much more effective job when they have the right medical records, when they have someone who's willing to listen to them and understand what they're trying to explain, uh, someone who's willing to sit down with the representative and do some get some coaching before the hearing or do like a mock hearing uh, where the representative says okay here are the questions i'm going to ask you at the hearing here are the questions the judge was going to ask you at the hearing and to make sure they're well prepared which is completely allowed you're allowed to be coached on how to testify no one's telling you how to testify or what to say but it's completely permissible for your representative to say here are the things the judge is going to ask you Think about how you're going to answer those questions before you get to the hearing. And so, yeah, for all of those reasons and many, many more, it's crucial that you know what you're getting into and know what's going to happen, or at least have some idea of what's going to happen, and that you work with your representative. They're representing you. They're not doing it for you. You have to work with your representative to be able to have the most effective presentation possible. First off, we've mentioned your book a few times and I don't think we've said the name of it. So Social Security Disability Revealed, Why It's So Hard to Access Benefits and What You Can Do About It. Uh, Bishonspublishing.com has links for all the different places to, to find the book. And if you head over to our show notes, I will have a button that you can just buy it right from Amazon and oh, there you go. directly to your website. So if you go over to visiblenotbroken.com, you will find all of this um, as well. Uh, so what are some of the, have you heard like a lot of myths about social security and disability that you're like, oh, uh, no, 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 <laughs> please correct that immediately. Is there anything that like, I've always heard you're supposed to show up in person, like don't accept a phone call. Um, it, the thing is, the pandemic changed a lot, as you can imagine. Um, uh, my job was never to speak with claimants. I would listen. I would, I would look at the medical records, listen to the hearing, and write the decision, and that was it. Once the pandemic hit, everyone's job changed a little bit. And my job would be, part of my job would be to call claimants to help get them prepared for their hearing. But of course, when someone calls you and says, hi, I'm calling from Social Security, Rightly so, your first thought is, this is, a, this is fraud, this is a scam. And even when I would say, well, no, I'm calling about your hearing on this date with this judge, and I would like show the person, I, I, I know some information. You've requested a hearing with the judge. I'm just calling to help you get prepared. A lot of people would be skeptical, which is totally fine. I would just say, yeah, no problem. Here's the hearing office number. Call back and we'll talk. 
but that's actually that's not the 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 biggest problem the biggest problem is that everyone's an expert except that they're not and here's a, just an example from this week um someone i know was in a facebook group and i i won't say the group or what it was or you know who was interacting in the group and someone asked a question and it was a really simple innocuous question it just said i i've heard that if i'm applying for social security disability i can't work at all is that correct and there were so many answers that said, yep, that's right. Except it's not right at all. It's, of course, it's not correct. You definitely can work some. You can't earn over the substantial gainful activity amount, which is in the book. I explain what that means and what that amount is. But you definitely can work before you apply for benefits, while you're waiting for your hearing. You could literally show up at the hearing and say, judge, I, after this, I have to go to my part-time job. And then you can keep working after you're approved for benefits. The key with social security is how much you're earning, but you can work. So I had no idea. And, and of course I talk about it in the book. It's called substantial gainful activity. You can work up to the substantial gainful activity level, which for this year is $1,350 per month. So you can earn $1,349 and when the judge says, are you working? You can say, yes, I'm working. I'm earning $1,349 and just tell the judge that. And you can prove it and say, here's my pay stub. And the judge will say, great, thank you. Thank you for proving to me you are earning under the substantial gainful activity amount. No problem. So, uh, and if you're earning over that amount, it becomes a problem and you can't hide it. People think like, oh, I'll, I'll, the judge will never find out if I don't tell them. Well, employers send records to the IRS, which is a federal agency. And the IRS sends records to Social Security, which is a federal agency. And the judge will look it up in their computer and say, I see that you earned this amount last quarter. Is that correct? And a lot of claimants don't realize that these agencies talk to each other and that the judges absolutely have that information. So uh, you can't lie and you can't put anything past the judge or the staff, you have to tell the truth. Um, but yeah, but you're allowed to work and you're allowed to earn up to a certain amount and you can tell them. So that's one of those things where when, when people say in Facebook groups or, or other, anywhere on the internet, you know, I ask this question and then I get these answers, but they're, wrong that's what's frustrating me the most and that's another reason i wrote the book because i wanted to put take every question that i thought a claimant might have uh, not like the most nuanced like i i'm 64 years old and i'm a widow and i have this specific impairment like if it gets complicated enough go after representative but for the basic information like can i work and still apply for benefits I wanted to give that, provide that answer. Yes, here's what it's called. Here's why you can work. Here's some examples illustrating what that means and how that might impact you. And I wanted to take all of those potential questions and put them all in one place so there would be one resource. Here's what social security disability is. Here's the difference between 
uh, social security disability insurance and supplemental security income, which are two very different programs. Here's how social security cases move through the system. Here's how they're decided. Here's all the people involved. Here, if you lose your case, here's how you can appeal. Here are the different reasons you might appeal. If you're awarded benefits, that's great. Make sure your benefits don't get taken away or make sure you don't lose benefits accidentally. So here's the section about after your hearing, if you lose or when. I wanted to put that all in one book. And so it's all in this book. So wherever you are in the process, if you have been awarded benefits, I was talking to someone earlier today who said, oh, I've already been awarded benefits. I said, that's great. Make sure you keep your benefits. Make sure your benefits aren't terminated when you least expect it. And he said, wait, what? Benefit termination, it's in the book. Uh, because it's just one of those things that people don't think about. And so I wanted to get that all in, in one place and have one resource that someone could have on a bookshelf, put little sticky tabs in it. And when something comes up later in the process, you know, a year from now, you're, you get to your hearing and your representative says, okay, now let's talk about the vocational expert testimony. You can say, I'll call you back in an hour and run and grab your book and read, who's the vocational expert? You know, and read that section of the book again. I wanted people to be able to understand process, but also to save, have that book and use it as a resource. And also be able to, to talk to other people. You know, if it, maybe you're not a claimant, maybe it's a family member. Maybe you have a family member who you know is struggling, who you know is having difficulty working or keeping a job, and, and, and you know they should be applying. You can get the book, you can read it, you can try and get them to read it, but if they won't, you can help them because you'll know the process. So this book is, is for claimants, it's for people who've already been awarded benefits, beneficiaries, it's for family members, it's for social security representatives, if you think you're a representative, if you are a representative and you think you know everything about the system, read part three. There's going to be some stuff in there that you didn't know about. And it's for advocates and doctors and counselors and anyone who may interact with a, a, a claimant or might be a claimant in the future. I can't wait to read this book. I've, I've learned so much and I know you have a heart out. So I just have one last question for you. If you could wave a magic wand, what would you fix about this system? Also in the book, uh, in the last <laughs> part of the book, I talk about after presenting all of the things that you can and can't control, I, the last part of the book is kind of a summary. Just to recap, here's all the things that you have no control over. Like you have no control over who the judge is. You have no control over who the vocational expert is that shows up at your hearing or when they schedule your hearing. There are certain things you have control over, such as what providers you have, you see and what kind of records you, you can get and who you hire as your representative. So I, I recap all of that. And I talk about how it's important to focus on what you can control and try not to worry about what you can't control because it's frustrating and stressful, but you can't control it. So focus on the things that you can have an impact on. But ultimately, the system isn't very good and it's really, really expensive. So just uh, as a quick sidebar here, Your Honor, how many people do you think, how many employees do you think Social Security has for administering the entire disability system? 
Oh, I'm so scared to even guess. Um, well, for one question, the other one. How, how many? A hundred? It's about 60,000. Wow. Because there's 200 hearing offices and they all have five, 10, 15 judges. Uh, and for every judge, there's one to two decision writers. And then there's a ton of support staff. And then there's field offices all across the country for people to just come into to file their claim. And then if your claim is denied, there's the appeals council in at headquarters where I started. So we're talking tens of thousands of employees. So imagine what this system costs just to administer, not even counting the benefits. And so if I could wave a magic wand, this is the last chapter of the book. Uh, and and make the system better, it would be to completely get rid of the system because it's just too expensive and it's really inefficient, as are all of the public benefit systems in the United States because they require that someone apply and then prove that they qualify for a benefit that they're already paying for through their taxes. Well, we could eliminate that whole bureaucracy and just give everyone a universal payment. Um, some people call it a universal basic income. In the United Kingdom, they call it a universal benefit. But a lot of countries in Europe have tried this, including the UK. It's not, it's not an untested concept. And if we gave every American adult a payment of seven or $800 or even up to $1,000 every month, and just we just say, you just get that to pay for basic necessities like food and housing. If you become disabled, you don't have to prove anything to anybody. If you become disabled and unable to work, you don't have to worry about paying your rent. You don't have to worry about buying groceries. Like you're still gonna have to worry. thousand dollars isn't a lot of money, right? But in other words, if we take the benefits, we just give them to people without the bureaucracy, um, we wouldn't have to have section eight housing, TANF, WIC, SNAP, school lunch for kids. Like we could just eliminate all of these programs and all of the bureaucracy and just give people $1,000 and it'd be way more efficient. And for people who are thinking, yeah, but we're just giving people money, but so many people don't currently, are currently getting government benefits. Why are we just gonna give them money? I challenge that assertion because almost every, possibly every American is receiving government benefits. People just don't think about them as government benefits. But for example, when someone owns a home and has a mortgage and goes to file their tax return and gets the mortgage interest deduction, isn't that a government benefit? You file, you get your, claim the deduction and the government sends you money. So the child tax credit, there's lots of different things that we only see at tax time, but they're all government benefits. It's just, we get a payment once a year instead of once a month, but we're all getting, we're, we're all participating in these programs. And in 2020 and 2021, the United States literally did a universal basic income three times where they just sent money to almost every American taxpayer just so they could pay rent and buy groceries now imagine if they just did that every month. Yeah, it would be really expensive, 
but it would more than pay for itself when you eliminate the millions of employees involved, not just at the federal level, but all those state agency reviewers that handle social security claims, you wouldn't, you wouldn't need that staff. And so it'd be, it'd be a way more efficient system. It would eliminate the need for anyone, for people to need to prove anything. Like think about how demeaning it is when you, it's, it's enough of a struggle to have a disability and to know you have it and to know you can't work. And now you have to prove it to someone who looks at your, who, whose job is to sit down all day. Like say you're a, a warehouse worker and you're on your feet lifting heavy boxes all day and you can't do that anymore. Well, now you have to prove your case to someone whose job it is to sit down in a chair all day and not do the work that you do, who looks at your medical records and goes, I think you can go back to the warehouse and work. Like, how do you know? You don't do my job, right? So the system in a lot of ways just doesn't make any sense. So if I had my, my magic wand, that's what I would do is I would get rid of all these programs and go to some kind of universal credit system where we eliminate, we make the book that I am, that I just wrote and that I want people to go buy and educate themselves. That would all be completely unnecessary and redundant and you would never need my book. Um, and so if that happened and no one ever bought my book ever again, that would be a good thing. Realistically, that's not going to happen. We all know that. It, 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 not in the short term anyway, like maybe long term, maybe we, it took the UK a really long time to switch to this universal credit system. But short term, if you're a claimant, if you know a claimant, if you're thinking about applying, if you have applied, if you've been awarded benefits and you want to make sure you don't lose them, you got to work within the system that we have. So that's why it's important to, to know where its pitfalls are and know how it could be better but also to know how to work within the confines of what we currently have, because it's, it's not changing anytime soon. I think that you've, you've brought up a really interesting idea and we've tried that here in California and Stockton to incredible success. Um, the universal basic income experiment in Stockton was uh, unequivocal success. So it, it's an interesting question and a really great theory. I cannot thank you enough. I know you have to go, um, but please go buy the book, um, go to either my website or to Spencer's website. And that will also be on our show notes. So please buy the book. I certainly will be. I cannot wait to read this. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thank you so much for listening to this month's episode with Spencer. If you would like this book, please head over either to bishonspublishing.com or if you go to our show notes, you'll find all of our information and a button where you can just purchase Spencer's book. So I know that was the first thing I did after I finished talking to him, and I'm very much looking forward to reading this. If you can, the kindest thing you can do if you enjoyed this episode is to go to Apple Podcast, leave some stars and some nice things to say. And of course, please share this with your friends, your family, and your community. Until next month, be kind, be gentle, be a badass. Thank you so much.